0: Happy Sunday morning, America, and welcome to the Sunday Brunch Edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. We've got a great show for you today. Two amazing colleagues I've worked with in journalism for many years, Monica Crowley and Lou Dobbs are going to be here. Of course, Monica Crowley moved beyond journalism to become an assistant treasury secretary in the Trump administration. We're going to talk about the economy, about the layoffs and jobs going on in the tech sector, which is a real bellwether of what's going on. And of course, the debt ceiling, the start of the re- Republican House, and so much more, including the 2024 election and what lies ahead. Then, former Congressman Rodney Davis of Illinois, he's the former chairman of the House Administration Committee and the man who was able to prove that Nancy Pelosi had a role In the failed security plan of January 6th, he's going to join us for an update as well as to tell us what he thinks his old colleagues in the House are going to be able to achieve in the next few months on the debt ceiling, on the border, on investigations. We'll get a good, good update from him. Roddy Davis, one of the most important voices in Congress. He may be out but he's still very influential. And then Lou Dobbs, one of the greatest journalists of all time, one of the great financial minds, one of the great conservative thought leaders. He'll be here to talk to us about everything. He has some surprising advice on how Republicans should handle the debt ceiling. It's not what you're going to expect, I think. So you want to tune in for that. I think he'll open your eyes with some political strategy that maybe you haven't thought about before. And then Mark Lauder, former spokesman for the Trump campaign in 2020, former advisor to Mike Pence, and now one of the most important players at the America First Policy Institute, where they're developing the Trumpism 2.0, Trump 2.0 policies, the America First Policies 2.0. He's going to join us for a great update on what's lying ahead on that front. And then we'll wrap up with one of the rising stars of journalism today amber affey the washington editor for the spectator magazine one of my favorites she's got a great podcast a great mind and really plays well in the area of intersection of culture politics and media because as you know the media drops the ball an awful lot so that's our show today we'll be right back after these commercial messages so don't go anywhere first up monica crowley Thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret?
0: We're so lucky to welcome our first guest back to the show, the host of the Monica Crowley podcast and truly one of the great experts on foreign policy and economic policy, and she's joining us right now, Monica Crowley. Monica, great to have you on the show.
2: Oh, it's so good to be back, guys. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, I got my fill of globalist uh, speak this morning, watching some of the things going on at the World Economic Forum in Davos your thoughts, there were some interesting characters there, people like um, uh, CNN reporters and others. In the middle of the showcase, when Brian Stelter was there, I was almost floored to think that he's considered a global expert on truth.
2: Yeah, isn't it amazing that Brian Stelter, who is no longer employed in cable news, was invited to moderate a panel called The Dangers of Disinformation or The Clear and Present Danger of Disinformation. Well, I mean, to be fair, nobody knows about that more than Brian Stelter and his former employer, CNN, right? Um, look, I was at Davos once. It was January of 2020, right before the world shut down. And what I can tell you is this is the the annual jubilee for the globalist predators. And yes, we focus on the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and his right hand, Yuval Hariri, who talk a lot about the World Economic Forum and the the other transnational organizations, dark, dystopian, surveillance state, tyrannical vision for the world. But they have their handmaidens all across the world executing on that vision. So it's not just President Biden and the Democrats here in the United States, but it's also massive uh, economic, Economic and financial elites like BlackRock that are carrying out policies like ESG, DEI, and other policies that are creating this, not just economic Marxism, that is part of the vision, but also political Marxism and cultural Marxism. It's all of a piece. So what's happening in Davos right now, very dark indeed. Um, It is, I think if we're going to take any positive aspect of what's happening this week, it's that... Soros and Bill Gates are not there this year, which is <laughs> true, actually.
3: Yeah, I found that to be quite interesting as well. On the same day, they both announced that they, they wouldn't be attending. I wanted to ask you, though, speaking of attendance, I've seen Quite a few tweets out there from members of Congress, folks who are vowing to never attend, uh, this, this forum in Davos that happens every year. And, and I think to myself about the conversation as far as free speech and restricting people's speech and the fact that you, uh, can never debate ideas if you don't have multiple sides showing up to argue. And I kind of feel with the World Economic Forum, I mean, in 2018, Donald Trump went, as did, I, I believe, your old boss, Steve Mnuchin. So it seems to me that that maybe we should be going because maybe we can change some minds or at least just shed some light on some of this stuff firsthand.
2: Well, President Trump also went in 2020 in January, and I was there because every year the Secretary of the Treasury and the Treasury Department leads the U.S. delegation. So we actually led that delegation. President Trump stayed for one day and one night to give his speech, and I give him huge credit for doing it. I think he relished doing it as well, because he was walking right into the globalist lion's den, and he gave a straight-up America first presentation, which, of course, they all hated. They were glad to have the prestige of the United States and the president of the United States there. But they all sat on their hands. And I was talking about this today on my podcast, where we had the U.S. delegation had a couple of front row uh, seats. We were all there. And so every time President Trump delivered an applause line, we were hooting and hollering and on our feet and screaming. <laughs> we were the only ones in an auditorium of thousands of people actually doing that. But to your point, Amanda, that's exactly right. I I think it behooves the United States when we have America first voices on hand to actually go into the lion's den and make our arguments very clear on that global stage.
0: it's really interesting. Uh, We spent a lot of time, Monica, in the last year at Just the News kind of reporting out what the Homeland Security, FBI, Justice Department, CDC, and other federal agencies have done to focus on... Uh, censorship in, in abridging the First Amendment rights of Americans. And over and over again, when you go through the documents, there seems to be a, a focus on crushing populism, whether it's Brexit populism or Donald Trump, uh, America first populism. Why is populism viewed as such a threat to the globalists around this world? You would think that's something they'd want to embrace, right? The power of the people. It seems like they're fearful of it.
2: No, they want the exact opposite of power to the people. This is about a handful of predators. Some call them elites. I think that's too flattering a term for them. But whether it's U.S. uh, globalists, uh, transnationalists, or on the international level like Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, etc., They want absolute and total control. They need an absolute grip on power to slam through their tyrannical agenda. So they do not want power in the hands of the people. And actually, when you think back over the last 40 or 50 years here in the United States, every time the people have sort of felt themselves and their own power, it's gotten squashed by the elites and their wingmen in the propaganda press. You think back to... President Nixon and, you know, the, the Nixon Democrats and creating a new coalition, they became Reagan Democrats that transformed into the Tea Party movement which then transforms into the America First movement. Each and every time we've been attacked, we've been smeared as racist, bigots, you name it, in order to stop the populist movement in its tracks. And by and large, it's been successful until now because the America First movement is now bigger. And believe me, they keep trying to, to extinguish it, but they are failing because now we have more resources like this show and uh, my podcast where people can actually go get the truth and really information. So the American first movement is still alive and well and growing.
3: I love it. And you you are such a brilliant mind economically. So I wanted to ask you about the debt ceiling t- tomorrow, tomorrow Thursday. We're going to hit that 31 trillion dollar borrowing cap. Now this morning my question to you would have would have been how are the financial markets going to react to this? But then today the Dow plummeted 600 points. Are things going to get worse before they get better?
2: I think so, because I think we're looking at a protracted but very necessary debt fight over the the spending cap. Look, we have to stop spending. The laws of economics are hard and fast. This isn't talking about social policy or anything else. This is about the laws of economics. Right now, we are carrying a $31 trillion debt. That is unsustainable. And of course, it keeps growing every single day because our government on both sides of the aisle, to be fair, have spent way beyond their means for decades and decades and decades. And now that we do have this America First movement, it's brought absolutely necessary pressure to bear on the Republicans in Congress to begin attempting to at least slow the spending, if not stop it. And the pressure is on Kevin McCarthy. The White House will not negotiate on this until their backs are up against the wall. To McCarthy's credit, he is saying, look, the Treasury can institute these extraordinary measures to inject liquidity into the economy to get us through maybe June right? And then at that point, we're going to start looking at default. So McCarthy is saying, let's start talking now about how to cut spending and the Democrats in Congress and the White House will not do it. So I think we're looking at yet another game of chicken. And I think the American people are so sick of this. They don't run their households like this. And yet the government with its wide open credit card is putting our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren in a real economic bind that is going to be very dark. In Indeed.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. The numbers are there to prove that. Speaking of numbers, Microsoft announced the 10,000 employees being laid off today, meta before that. So Facebook's owner, many other tech companies. Are we headed into a Biden tech bubble right now? Like like some fear?
2: It sure looks like that's possible, uh, John, and we saw at the end of last year, we saw some big tech companies like Amazon, as you mentioned, uh, Twitter, Elon Musk came in and laid off, what, 85% of the workforce, and Twitter seems to be working better than ever. Um, so yeah, I think tech is sort of a leading indicator here of what may in fact happen in the broader economy going through this year. Most major economic observers, like the heads of banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, etc. They're all saying that we're looking at a recession this year. That seems to be the consensus. And so the question is how deep and how protracted this
0: recession might be. Yeah, those are the key questions. Monica, real quick, I don't listen to many podcasts. I listen to yours. I think it's one of the best in the country. How do people uh, dial in and get your podcast every day?
2: Oh, well, thank you so much, John. It's very kind of you. It's called the Monica Crowley Podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. So Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, all of the Evil Empire um, podcast platforms, <laughs> it's there. So please go check it out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I give you the truth, the, the
0: unvarnished truth. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Congressman Rodney Davis will be here. He'll give us the blueprint for what Republicans in the House are going to do over the next several months. Investigations, the border, the debt crisis, and so much more. Stay tuned for that. It's a really insightful interview right after these messages. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, AMAC.US slash Just News to become a four year member for Just $30. Join now at amacamacus AMAC.US Just News. That's AMAC.US forward Just News. Joining us right now, the former congressman from the great state of Illinois and our good friend, Rodney Davis. Congressman, good to have you on the show. Well, Amanda and John, it's great to be back. Uh, I want to start with the debt ceiling because it's the next great battle that Congress is going to have to do. It'll be the next great test for Kevin McCarthy. He got in, he got the rules package, had a couple good weeks now of uh, doing the people's business and having some important votes. The debt package, how should Republicans play this so that the American people are the ultimate winner?
4: Well, my time in Congress, John and Amanda, I always said we ought to leverage anything we can get with any issue that the Democrats try to make into a crisis. America has to be worried about the fiscal constraints or lack thereof in our country right now, and the debt ceiling issue. John, you mentioned this is an issue where extraordinary measures to be taken. We're not going to be at risk for America defaulting on bills that we've already already extended and that need to be paid. But there's going to be a lot of gnawing and gnashing of teeth in the national media. The Democrats and their friends in the media are going to talk about the markets are going to crash. America's going to lift this debt ceiling, but America still has to have a serious debate on controlling the mandatory side of our ledger in this country as we move into the years ahead.
0: Yeah, so important.
3: And Carter? You have such a unique perspective. And, and over the course of this show, we have always loved having you on and loved getting that perspective. As we all watched the speaker fight play out and then um, after that, the the negotiations that took place between Republicans. I don't want to call them concessions because I think that there was a lot of push and pull from both sides. Uh, but as the rules package came out the following Monday and Republicans finally got down to business, what what's your purview on all of that? And do you have any advice for the 118th Congress?
4: my advice is to act like you're in the majority the american people gave you the majority was it the size of the majority that we wanted no but for the first time in a long time more americans nationwide voted for their republican candidate over the democrat candidate for congress take the win work together the democrats they can sit back and eat popcorn and tweet about it like they did during the seemingly never-ending speakers race But Republicans, I think, are more unified. I think Speaker McCarthy is more, he is stronger now because of what he went through. And especially those 200 governing Republicans that supported him all 15 ballots, now they're working on a rules package that you mentioned. This rules package is really not much different, if at all, than what we operated under when we were in the majority just a few short years ago. There wasn't a lot of gnawing and gnashing of teeth and negotiating, giving things away in a back room. It was an opportunity to come together, work out differences amongst Republicans, and then get something done. I think the next few weeks are going to be a telltale a uh, few few weeks in Speaker McCarthy's his period as the Speaker. And I think they're going to show the American people how unified and how strong the Republicans in the House are
0: yeah that that is a very important message to send to the american public congressman uh we were thinking of you just a few days ago we had the former capitol hill police chief on here Steve son and he came out and said what you said the capitol's no more safe today than it was on january 5th there were intelligence failures Uh, Nancy Pelosi was in the loop, didn't give me the resources I wanted. Really an extraordinary acknowledgement, really affirms a lot of the great work you and your team did. What does the new Republican leadership need to do to make sure we get that capital secure? We never have another security and intelligence failure like we had on January 6th.
4: Well, first of all, Amanda, John, I'm glad you brought former Chief Steve Sundar. I didn't want him to get canceled by Nancy Pelosi when he did a job under the hamstring, hamstringing rules that we've talked about on your show over the last two years. Steve Sund is a true American hero, did everything he could to make sure his officers were in a position to succeed, but politics, as he said, and as you and I have talked, got in the way. So what can we do as a majority? The new chair of House Administration, Brian Stott. Brian is going to work hard along with people like Barry Loudermilk to really exercise the oversight responsibility that Nancy Pelosi and former chairperson Zoe Walken didn't do. They didn't want to ask the right questions about why Steve's son wasn't even given the intel when he was the Capitol Police Chief. He wasn't even given the intel that the Capitol Police would be under attack that came in credible from the Norfolk FBI office the day before January 6th. Those are the types of questions that I urge the select committee to ask, and the only thing that they did that addressed any ounce of capital security failures was an addendum to their report. Why? Because it didn't make Hollywood happen. It didn't make, it didn't make made-for-TV moments. But that's the truth, and the truth is going to come out because of my colleagues exercising the oversight, the oversight agenda that we all put together months ago.
3: true yeah they tried to have those made for tv moments though because nancy pelosi's documentary and daughter was there on site when it happened so that's kind of an amazing hurdle to to hop over i wanted to ask you though speaking of handling things differently i remember last august when mar-a-lago was raided we had you on shortly after and you were always a straight shooter when it comes to your perspective on things like this. But now we have a new perspective because President Joe Biden at the time, vice president, uh, transported some classified documents to various and sundry places. We know as of now, there are two places. What's your perspective on all that?
4: You know, it's frustrating. A lot of people in this country think that there's a two-tiered system of justice. And they look at how President Trump was treated when he was the president of the United States. As a president, you have the ability to declassify any document that you want. Just say it's declassified. Well, does done. You have a process you can go through to make that happen. The documents that Joe Biden had in a garage, number one, how'd they get there? And number two, who found them and how? I mean, do you, does he have lawyers at high billable hour rates or high retainers walking around the locked garage and well, all of a sudden they found classified documents? Classified documents that he is vice president when those documents were obtained? could not declassify them. There's a a complete double standard. Where's the rage? Where's the outrage? And in the end, in the end, what needs to happen, there's gotta be better processes for outgoing presidents and outgoing administration officials to make sure that classified documents don't leave the promise. Look, I just moved to Congress, and I can tell you, the last thing I wanted was to have any documentation move out of Congress, move out of my office and come to my house. There aren't any documents here. It should be an easy process to fix, and the federal government ought to do that. But if there's something nefarious, if the vice president knew he was taking those documents, that special counsel is going to get to the bottom
0: of the aisle. That's amazing. I have to tell you this funny story. I was driving on 95 this morning, and there was a moving van and had a, a made-up sign-on saying, we don't hire lawyers. I just want to point that out. It was pretty fun, actually, on the sideway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Congressman, I want to ask you about this oh. uh There's a moment with Adam Schiff that came to light this week. Adam Schiff, Senator Feinstein, Senator Blumenthal going to Twitter and trying to get Twitter to portray the Devin Nunes very accurate Russia collusion report as Russian disinformation pushed by Russian bots. Even Twitter couldn't believe what these guys were doing. I think they called them congressional trolls. When a member of Congress goes to that length to use the power of their office to create a false story, should there be more consequences than just uh, kicking them off a committee? Should there be a censure, a reprimand uh, to remind people that you can't use the office of power that way?
4: Well, I certainly hope that this is investigated. And I think these issues are, are going to be brought to the forefront even more so than Elon Musk has allowed uh, folks to do by opening up these Twitter posts. Remember, The Republican oversight agenda is going to be the top priority of the new Republican majority. These social media giants are going to be hauled in front of Jim Jordan's committee. They're going to be hauled in front of Jamie Comer's committee. They're going to be hauled in front of Kathy McMorris-Rogers' committee. And frankly, I would have hauled them, and I hope Chairman Stiles, hauls them in front of House administration to ask these questions. Ask why there was obvious political bias with these social media giants. And what influence did that have on the electorate? And at the same time, as much, Devin Nunes is a great friend of mine. Devin, as much crap as I like to give him personally, didn't deserve the faith that he got because of actions from people like Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi. And then, I hope as more evidence comes out, I hope they're held accountable for those actions.
0: All right, folks, don't touch your phone. You know why? The one and only Lou Dobbs is going to be here next. We're going to have a great conversation about politics, the elections, the state of the country. And, of course, what Republicans should do on the debt ceiling. That's a big issue that Lou Dobbs has been on top of. We'll have him right after this commercial break.
3: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall.
0: He's a talented journalist, author, and uh, one of the uh, hosts of one of my favorite podcasts, The Great America Show. He's the one and only Lou Dobbs, and he joins us right now. Lou, great to have you back on the show. Great
5: to be with you. Thank you very much.
0: So we talk often about how the uh, permanent bureaucracy has a way of protecting itself, whether it's from leaks or uh, accountability when they do something wrong. Your reaction to the Supreme Court being unable to identify that leaker? Well, first, it's,
5: it is really an insult to the intelligence of the American people, I believe, to, to have waited this, these many months uh, for an investigation to come to some conclusion, other than we decided not to even uh, identify the person, because that's what this really is. They had plenty of time in the months uh, just following that, uh, that event, uh, the, the leak of the, uh, the draft decision in, in the Dobbs case, they had plenty of time to have come to a conclusion, and yet the months kept going by, and we knew where this was headed uh, to uh, to an inconclusion. Uh, and if you will, I think it's frankly a rank cover-up on the part of the Supreme Court, uh, trying to avoid responsibility for for one of the clerks, for what perhaps one of the justices, or are the other administrators? We know it had to be amongst that group, uh, and the. Uh, and the head of security for the for the Supreme Court, I I fully believe uh, knows who it is.
3: Maybe they should hire Joe Biden's lawyers. They seem to find those classified documents really easily. They might have a little bit well, more success. That's,
5: that's a grand Speaking idea. of those documents,
3: <laughs> yeah, who knows? I, I doubt that they will find them in their employ. But uh, I wanted to ask you about those documents because we we see more coming out, and I. I don't know if I expect to see more, but I think that there's a likelihood, at least, a possibility that more will come out. And the treatment between all of this, President Biden being given the benefit of the doubt, saying, oh, but he's cooperating. He came forward. He volunteered this information as opposed to President Trump, who they claimed tried to conceal it, uh, was blockading every step of the way. They raided Mar-a-Lago. Isn't it just incredible, the the difference in treatment between the two of them? And for those in America who, who maybe find themselves on the left side of the aisle on most issues, do you think they recognize this two-tier system of justice?
5: Well I think everyone now recognizes the so-called two-tier justice system in this country. Uh, even the FBI current agents, the whistleblowers, uh, the community of uh, retired agents. Uh, this is an embarrassment to them all because this is a political FBI politicized by the Justice Department and uh, and they have direct control over the FBI. Uh, it is just simply an extension of the, the Marxist Dems who run the Democrat Party. Uh, and it, it's that straightforward. Uh, it, it's, this is not uh, a situation uh, that is, in my opinion, uh, there's no way in, in the world to justify it. Uh, this, the timeline is absolutely goofy. It's not even artful in the way of a cover-up. Uh, it raises far more questions than answers uh, to this point the special counsel is uh, is an anti-Trump Justice Department hack who is in the the circular loop that uh, takes people into the Justice Department and puts them in bigger law firms, then brings them back for another political appointment. Uh, This is is in action. It is just simply part of the corrupt uh, Marxist Dems and the deep state control over the federal government.
0: Yeah, really remarkable moment in our history to to see that uh, the system play out time and time and time again. Uh, Lou, I can't think of another journalist that over the last two decades has done more to highlight the fiscal irresponsibility in Washington. It just keeps going on unabated. Now we're at another debt ceiling crisis, if we can call it really that, because it's really manufactured to be at this point. What should House Republicans do to change the course of this country? We've been doing the same last-minute budget deal that spends reckless dollars for two decades. How do we break the cycle?
5: Well, you know, I truly believe that the Republicans uh, in the House are on exactly the right tracks. Uh, We have uh, James Comer heading a House Oversight Committee, Jim Jordan with the Judiciary and the weaponization, the new uh, Church 2.0 Committee, so-called, to investigate uh, how this weaponization occurred. Uh, I I think they're on exactly the right track. They're looking at uh, the entire uh, portfolio of issues uh, that have been created by this administration, I think that they're doing everything absolutely correctly in the interest of the American people. I do believe uh, that despite the fact their values are correct, their judgment is correct about the way in which to handle fiscal policy, this is entirely the wrong issue to take up at this time. We're looking at a Fed that is trying to deal with runaway inflation. We're looking at a national uh, uh, debt of approaching now $32 trillion. This very day we've hit the so-called debt ceiling. Uh, and for the for the Republicans to make much of this and for uh, Kevin McCarthy to go one-on-one with Barack Obama over the debt ceiling, you know, we you and I have seen this work out before. And it never works out well for the Republicans because they start at the wrong point. This is not the time to deny responsibility for the judgments that have been made by the Senate, and the Congress, and the President. Everyone has agreed. Uh, we know Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy agreed to the spending bills. And therefore, those are the obligations of the federal government. And this this artifice of the ceiling debt limit, uh, debt limit ceiling, uh, is, uh, to me, it's, it just pans a gift of uh, you know several bats with which to hit the Republicans over the head, a gift of distraction, while the Republicans are sure to be winning important legislative and political battles uh, this spring. They're on the right course. They're on the right side of history. It is silly to get involved, in my judgment, uh, in this this sort of manufactured uh, confrontation that really ignores the fact that this budget for this year is already set and the Republicans will have no say about it in point of fact until the new budget Uh, beginning on October 1st of 2023.
3: Great point. Mm and and there was another war of wills that we all witnessed a few weeks ago uh, now House Speaker Kevin McCarthy up against 20 holdouts who didn't seem like they were going to capitulate at all and I think that a lot of people possibly expected some type of punitive maneuvering from from Speaker McCarthy but that doesn't seem to be the case at all you've got folks like Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs and Lauren Bobert who have been placed on very powerful committees and I have to say I'm heartened to see it how about you
5: Oh, with that question, I think those uh, those twenty, uh, you know, as they are called often holdouts, I I consider them reformers. Uh, they showed great courage. They uh, Andy Big standing up to run against Kevin McCarthy, uh, and the five other folks who are who stood with him initially and were the last to to, if you will, uh, agree to the grand bargain with Kevin McCarthy for his speakership. I think they deserve all of our gratitude because we're seeing right now the reform of the Congress, whether it is the motion to vacate, which makes a vote, uh, a vote of confidence uh, uh, possible for the chairman just with one member standing up. Uh, it is, it's a remarkable change of rules. Uh, it, a great, there's greater representation of America now in the committees uh, and in the decision making process. And our, our representatives, we learn we're making votes, and now they will be involved in the votes, and they will have the ability to amend legislation. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm very much enthused about what is uh, what the 20 accomplished, and what Kevin McCarthy is doing to make certain that he stays with the deal, the deal, and uh, moves this uh, 118th Congress forward. I, I think that the American people are going to be well. Uh, well satisfied with what they see for the first time in many many a year
0: yeah you can see that (laughs) in the early polling people like the job they're seeing we got only about 20 seconds left just a quick thought about the world economic forum we could go on all day but it seemed like a circus once again no
5: well, it, it was it is a circus. It's a meaningless circus. Uh, it is a it's, it's a profit project for Klaus Schwab and in his efforts to dominate the world from uh, little Davos, uh, Switzerland. <laughs> and he's until now he had, was doing pretty well.
0: All right, folks, straight ahead. Mark Lauder from America First Policy Institute, former advisor to both President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence. He's on the forefront of creating Trumpism 2.0, the policies of America First for the next generation. He's going to give us an update on all of those efforts right after this. Of course, we'll also hear about President Trump's big campaign event next week in South Carolina. You won't want to miss that. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back, America. Joining us now is the former strategic director of communications for the Trump-Pence 2020 reelection campaign. Before that, he was a White House special assistant, and now he's the chief communications officer for one of my favorite groups, America First Policy Institute. Joining us right now is Mark Lauder. Mark, great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having me back, John. Uh, you've been in the White House. You've been around government a long time. Uh, there is a really fun game of semantics going on in the media now, trying to uh, give Joe Biden a free pass on documents that he left at his home, left at the UPenn uh, office here in Washington, D.C. You see a very big difference, and you know the difference because you've been there. Mar-a-Lago, always under Secret Service protection. Joe Biden's home, sitting naked for two or three years without that security. How do we get the media to focus on the right issue here?
7: Well, that's because they're, all they're trying to do is provide cover. I mean, I actually heard that CNN had a segment where they were saying, oh, documents are, because classified documents are left and found all the time, and, you know, and it just happens, it's routine, it's not criminally treated, so it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. I had top-secret clearance. Actually, I had above-top-secret clearance uh, when I was in the White House. And it was something we took very seriously. And there were very specific rules you had to follow. This is a case where those rules weren't being followed. And the big difference, as you indicated... Donald Trump's property at Mar-a-Lago was always under the protection of the Secret Service from the time he left office. He has lifetime Secret Service protection. The FBI or Justice Department even told with the archives, we want a better lock. We want security cameras out where these documents are being stored. So they knew they were there. They also knew they were under lock and key. Joe Biden's house was not secured by the Secret Service. Vice presidents only get Secret Service for six months after they leave office. And then, obviously, once he became the nominee, he got Secret Service again. So there was a long time in there with that house, the garage, the office, anybody's rummaging through it. Good point.
3: Yeah. And speaking of being a foreign agent for China, see what I did there? I wanted to ask you about some of these policy videos that President Trump has put out, the most recent of which I think in the last week or so was him uh, discussing policy regarding China and banning the purchasing uh, by Chinese nationals of farmland or or purchasing ownership stakes in things like energy and, and the tech sector and things like that. When President Trump ran for president and all throughout his administration, he seemed to have a really great grasp of clarity with regarding legislation and policy. And it seems like that has been extended. Do you agree?
7: Uh, absolutely. And it's and it's absolutely critical. And in fact, here at the America First Policy Institute, we have an entire center dedicated to focusing on nothing but China. It's great to see the House of Representatives stand up their committee to confront China. You know, this is one of the things that I think so few people, re, you know, I'm old enough to remember the Cold War. We didn't get a lot of our uh, a lot of our products and everyday items from the Soviet Union. We just didn't. They didn't make it, they didn't manufacture it. They were our opposition, our enemy, if you will. In China's case, they pose an economic threat to us because of they are so interwoven into our supply chains. You can't get a Tylenol or an Advil unless it comes partially through or manufactured by China. We cannot allow any foreign adversary to have that kind of influence over our country, over our supply chain, over our well-being, or in this case, start buying up farmland or land that is near strategic locations. It's just dumb to think that anyone would allow it. And so it's great to see that, you, obviously, President Trump is talking about it. You see a lot of other people in the, in the Congress and who are thinking about running in the future talking about it, because we got to get
0: real about China. Yeah, we really do. And one of the interesting developments over the course of the Trump years was the idea that we were going to China proof our economy. A lot of great ideas are being built at AFPI and elsewhere on how we actually do that. It's one thing to have you know, a goal. You have a lot of tactical ideas that you're developing at AFPI with some of the brightest minds in government on how we're going to make this economy less reliant on China, more reliant on American goods. Give us some of the ones that are gaining traction, particularly with the new majority in the House.
7: Well, I think the first thing we have to admit is that we have to have what's called a strategic decoupling. And you know we can't just snap our fingers, pass a law, and all of a sudden, everything that is related or interconnected to China is just simply going to go away. It's going to take some time for us to build up our resources. We actually saw that happening under the Trump administration as many companies, especially some pharmaceutical companies and other key suppliers, were relocating some of their manufacturing or at least building additional manufacturing outside of China. Might not have always come back all the way to the U.S., which is ultimately the goal, but to have it in our allies' controls is also very good, as long as we can remove the influence from China. And then, ultimately, we have to get them to the table to change their uh, their malign influence, their malign activities. That's where you see, in one of the few areas that the Biden administration hasn't undone from the Trump administration is keeping the tariffs in place on China. Those need to be strengthened. Those need to be uh, continued. And if not, if anything else expanded as needs arise, because we've got to have something, some kind of leverage to get them to change their ways.
3: Mark, John and I are both big fans of AFPI and speaking of the P for policy, I wanted to ask you with this new rules package and the single subject bills that Republicans will now be debating and, and possibly passing. It seems to me that for an organization like yours, this presents an opportunity um, as far as some of the Republicans who, who may not be as clear on single subjects as you would like them to be, does this prevent uh, present an opportunity to coordinate and maybe have a little bit more influence with those members of Congress?
7: Well, I think it, it, it that's a that cuts both ways. Of course, single subject bills are the ideal. That's the way most people can can have an influence, make their voices heard, uh, whether it's through congressional testimony, whether it's through comment periods, or just talking to their legislators and their congresspeople. You know, when they're home uh, in their districts, the the challenge is it gives more Democrats opportunities to try to put poison pills, and so you're trying to basically bat back, back all of the bad ideas uh, in multiple locations. The key we've got to understand, and, and and I've said this over and over, is that we we have a very divided Congress between the House and the Senate. Nothing is going to get to the President's desk that he doesn't want to sign. Uh, and so the government is going to continue to function. They're going to do the basic things. But aside from naming post offices after themselves, probably not a lot of other big things are going to pass because there's just no agreement. The Democrats are not going to put any of their vulnerable senators on the record about rebuilding America's energy independence or securing the border or making sure parents have their voices heard in their children's schools because they can't vote no for it and they can't vote yes for it. So it's just going to go To the Senate and and basically legislatively die.
0: All right, folks, we got one to go, and we saved a good one for the last wrap-up of the day. Amber Athey from the Spectator Magazine, one of the great journalists in America today. She'll be here to talk about the state of the news media, all the coverage we've had. Have Joe Biden and Donald Trump been treated differently in the media? With the discovery of classified documents, she'll weigh in on all of that right after these messages. Joining us is The Spectator's Washington editor and the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Unfit to Print, Amber Athy. Amber, great to have you on the show. Thank you for
1: having me. It's good to be here.
0: Now, you've got a new book coming out that I'm real excited about. There is a lot of discussion about the state of our young generation. You have your finger on the pulse. New book, The Snowflakes Revolt, How Woke Millennials Hijacked American Media. I'm excited. I know it's coming out in March. Give us a little preview of some of the issues you're going to tackle it that.
1: Absolutely, I'm so excited for this book to come out. It was definitely a bit of a passion project. I start the book actually talking about my own experience attending Georgetown University and the liberal bias that I encountered there from both the students and the administration. And what I learned from my time you know, graduating and then going on to work in the media is that a lot of these same campus activists that we sort of derisively refer to as the snowflake generation, did not just, you know, melt away or, or, or melt when they got to the real world. What happened was they actually got some pretty important highfalutin positions in American institutions like the media and have been exercising a lot of influence the same way that they did on campus. Um, So you see the mainstream media having these internal newsroom revolts and being pushed further to the left every single day because these woke millennials have orchestrated these revolutions, so to speak. Um, against their newsroom leaders. And this is something that the media has really gotten itself into by hiring these individuals who had a history of left-wing activism. And unless they put their foot down, they're going to face the same thing that happened to campus administrators, which is that the inmates are going to continue to run the asylum.
3: That phrase has never been, has never fit so well. I wanted to ask you since you brought up the millennial generation, this new morning consult poll uh, regarding pride in being an American, baby boomers at 73%. That's great. Gen X 54% me millennials at 36%, but only 16% of Gen Z are proud to be American. I am delighted that that many baby boomers are proud to be American, but they obviously did not pass that message down to their children and their grandchildren.
1: Right. And unfortunately that's another indictment of our education system and not just our higher education system anymore. This is happening at younger and younger ages for students in the public school system where teachers are actively passing on the idea that America is not a country to be proud of. About five years ago, there was a study done of students at Harvard University and it asked them if America was a greater threat to the country or ISIS. And the majority of respondents said that America was a greater threat to the world than ISIS was. Um, So this is the type of indoctrination that's happening with your tax dollars. And it's really horrific. And like I said, this is happening now in elementary schools, middle schools. It just gets younger and younger. And it's harder for children and students to be able to fight back when they're being exposed to this at ages where their brains are not fully developed and they're taught that they're supposed to uh, go along with authority figures and not question them
0: yeah it's a it's a real challenge because it, it is a generational uh cycle now that we've created What are some of the best ideas? Because I know you think a lot about solutions as well as reporting on the problems. What are some of the best ideas to start to push this toothpaste back into the tube to restore the idea that America is a good country and it gets into our education system that way?
1: I think we have to stop pretending that we can be value neutral when it comes to education. I think there's been an impulse from some conservatives and some right-wingers to say the problem is that, uh, you know, education has been politicized in a way way that that pushes things further to the left, and the answer is to just go back to the middle, but the middle is not the same middle that we're talking about, excuse me, from 10 years ago, right? The middle of the Overton window has shifted drastically to the left. So we have to be willing to say, yes, we should teach students to stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance. Yes, we should teach uh, students that America is great, not just that America is the country that we live in, um, but we should be actually being willing to put in positive values and an alternative vision of morality than what the woke left offers to our kids.
0: Yeah, we only got about 20 seconds left. I just want to ask the movement to maybe take uh, your tax funds with you and go to the school of your choice for your children. Do you think that empowers some parents and sends a message to public uh, school teachers?
1: Absolutely. Public schools are not going to change unless they have competition. The teachers unions have a stranglehold on government policy and on tax dollars right now to do whatever they want, um, thanks to their being in bed with the Democrat Party. So we have to start offering parents choice and maybe then the teachers unions will wake up.
0: All right, folks, that wraps up the Sunday edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join us. Thank you for tuning in. A big thank you to Monica Crowley, Congressman Rodney Davis, Lou Dobbs, Mark Lauder, and Amber Athie. Really great conversations from really smart people. That's why we do this show. A lot of insights about what lies ahead for this country, what lies ahead in the political realm, and of course, what's going on in the culture wars in the media wars in America. A lot of great thoughts there. We're so grateful they can join us today. I want to thank you all for your support of Just the News. There's so many ways you support us. Some of you are VIP club members and you subscribe to Just the News and support our mission. You get an ad-free environment, of course. And of course, you get once a month opportunity to join a town hall with me where I answer your questions for an hour. So grateful for all of you who join. If you want to become part of the VIP club team, all you got to do is go to justthenews.com slash subscribe and you'll be all set. If you want to get our daily newsletter and get a newspaper, right in your email inbox to wake you up in the morning at 7 a.m. Well, we've got that too. Go to justthenews.com slash newsletter. And if you want to download our apps, we have one for the Apple iPhone and one for the Android phone. Go to the Apple iOS store and the Google Play store to download the Just the News app. It's highly rated. People love it. You can watch, listen, or read Just the News content 24-7, and you get badge alerts when we have some breaking news or big investigations, so you don't want to miss that as well. All right, folks, that wraps it up. God bless you. Thanks for joining me today, and have a blessed Sunday. We'll be back tomorrow with regular programming at John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. Until then, have a great evening.